You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome, 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 friend. I'm TK, your tour guide to the past, and you are listening to For the Love of History, the podcast where we talk about world history, women's history, and weird history. We've had our break. We're ready to go. We're ready to get into some very relevant history today. But first, I'd like to thank everyone who reached out to me these past few weeks to check in, give me words of encouragement, tell me their stories of imposter syndrome. I can't tell you how much that meant to me. So thank you very much. Also, I would like to send a very special shout out to a wonderful listener, Taylor Joe S. Thank you for all that you do. I hope you enjoy this episode. All right, my delicious little donut, you know what time it is. We are talking history of abortion today. If you need to skip this episode because any reason, literally any reason, it is 110,000 billion percent okay. I completely understand you can join us in the next one. But if you'd like to learn with me today, grab a big old decadent snack and maybe a pillow or a stuffed object to punch because we are about to get a little ragey in here. So without further ado, let's get to it. So I had kind of a hard time knowing where to get started for this episode. I didn't know how far back I should take it and what country to start in, but I figured we just better start at the start of written history to really drive home the fact that abortion has been a part of human beings being human beings since humans started writing about the human experience. And if I had a dollar every time I started a sentence with the first evidence of XYZ came from Egypt, I would be rich at this point. (laughs) But here we are. The first written evidence of abortions is in the ancient Egyptian papyrus Ebers, which dates from circa 1550 BCE. It describes different herbal concoctions, vaginal suppositories, and douches to, quote, empty out the conceived in the first, second, or third period. And the Egyptians weren't the only ones. Archaeological evidence of surgical procedures has been found in several countries, and there's a ton of evidence of other forms of abortatives in different cultures all around the world. There is an 8th century Sanskrit text that instructs women wishing to induce an abortion to sit over a pot of steam or stewed onions. In Japan, documents starting in the 12th century indicate that people of all social classes had sought abortions from one reason or another. And in the Edo period, there was a huge surge of abortions among the middle class due to famine and crazy high taxes. There's even a whole god called the Jizo and several, several temples dedicated to abortions, stillborn children, kids who die before they reach one month old, and just children in general. But don't get me wrong, the Jizo is not a evil god there to punish people. The Jizo is just there to, like, protect them and stuff. People also were not punished for having abortions. They were totally legal until the U.S. showed up, but... That's, again, another story. In Japan, it was a common belief that even after you were born, your soul was still partly in the spirit world, and you only fully became a person after you lived among the living for a few years. So abortion was just sending a soul back to the spirit world to wait for its next turn. 
From Southeast Asia to China to the Maori in New Zealand, there is well-documented evidence of legal abortions due to medical necessities, the inability to finance a child, and dozens of other reasons. But I can hear the naysayers now, but those are not Western cultures. Who cares what people did over there outside of Europe? Not you, of course, dear one. You are perfect and very smart and would never say something ridiculous like that. But to those people, I would say, hold your tiny racist horses, you dingleberry. The Greeks and the Romans totally had legal abortions, too. Even in societies like Greece and Rome, where fertility is a huge deal, I mean, look at all their fertility deities. The Greeks have like, the Greeks have like 13, and the Romans, don't even get me started on the Romans, they have a literal flying penis as a god, okay? Okay. So you could say fertility is kind of their thing, and even they had legal abortions. Aristotle saw early abortion as an appropriate means of maintaining constant population size. The Greek polis, which was the community political structure of ancient Greece, attributed neither right to life nor soul to the unborn child. It wasn't a person until it was born. And it was the same for Rome. They believed that the embryo was just a part of the woman, that it was basically an internal organ. About 200 abortificants were already known in Rome, and about 90% of them were genuinely effective. Doctors such as Dioscuritus or Sorinus or Ephesus, a lot of uses, wrote out their explicit names and directions in their books and various documents. The the names of all of these different abort, abortificants. <laughs> this, is, this episode is filled with a lot of big words. <laughs> and now on to more modern-ish times. Abortion was legal in Europe until 1588, when Pope Sixtus V declared all abortion murder. But then... Just three years later, the new pope was like, mm, this is not a thing that we can keep doing. We got to roll back this law. And he made early abortions still legal. And mind you, early abortions usually meant within the second trimester. And abortions would be legal for another 300 years until Pope Pius the. Ninth again declared all abortion murder, but this was only the official rule of the Catholic Church. Outside of the Catholic Church, it was legal and, in fact, an important medical necessity for many other religions. Okay, TK, I can see that abortion has been legal for most of human history. So, how did we get here? What the hell happened? That is an excellent question, dear one. What the hell happened indeed? I could go on about the history of abortion in other countries, but this is simply one podcast episode. So in light of recent events, we are simply going to focus on the history of abortion in the U.S. and how we got to where we are today. A common incorrect argument that the anti-abortion people use, especially in freaking politics, is that there is no historical precedence for abortion that the Founding Fathers, gag, I hate that word, were opposed to abortion. Which, spoiler alert, not even a spoiler alert. It's just plain wrong. It's wrong. 
so wrong. I have never heard so many wrong things said at one time before. Abortions had been practiced legally by indigenous groups since before colonization, and enslaved people brought to the United States had their own abortive methods as well, and white women coming from Europe readily used their methods and the methods brought with them from Europe. And in fact, the majority of midwives and reproductive care people were women, specifically black and indigenous women, for the longest time, for, for a long, long freaking time. I need you to remember that because we're going to come back to it later. So, medical literature and newspapers in the late 1700s and early 1800s regularly published information about herbs and medications as abortion-inducing methods. Surgical methods were rare, but did happen on occasion. Reproductive care, including abortion, was unregulated during that time, which meant people depended on skilled midwives, nurses, and other unlicensed women's health care providers. All of these women were trusted, legitimate medical professionals who provided essential reproductive health care, and men were hardly ever involved. When the colonial people were colonizing and setting up their government, leaders didn't outlaw abortion in America. They just, it wasn't a thing that they were concerned about. They didn't do it until the mid-1800s. Each state had their own abortion law, and by no means did all states have abortion laws. Pretty much all abortion laws were super duper vague, but common law allowed abortion prior to quickening, which was the term used to mean the first fetal movement, which happens after about four months of pregnancy. So it wasn't out and out banned. Abortion was legal to a certain point. Although abortion was legal for the most part until after the Civil War, there was different rules for enslaved black women than for white women. Enslaved black women were considered valuable property, and they did not have control over their own bodies. And those disgusting, sorry excuses for humans that thought it was okay to own another human, aka enslavers, prohibited them from having abortions because they were their property. Oh, gross. So freaking gross. Like, ugh. Okay. Like so many things in the U.S., anti-abortion laws took root in racism. In 1860, just before the Civil War broke out, stronger anti-abortion laws were passed, and these laws were more vigorously enforced. And as a result, many women began to utilize illegal underground abortion services. This led to an un countable number of horrible and unnecessary deaths of people just trying to access vital health care. After the Civil War ended, abortion was still mostly illegal depending on the state, but there was still a need for women's reproductive health regardless. And this, dear one, is where some straight-ass hattery begins, so it might be a good idea to get out that pillow or engage in some like activity where you like smash or squish things, swearing is encouraged. So here goes. According to an essay by Michael Goodwin, a law professor at the University of California, Irvine, prior to the Civil War, white men were not generally involved in gynecological or obstetric 
or OBGYN activities. Half of the women who provided reproductive health care were black women, black women who were midwives, some of whom were enslaved. Other midwives included indigenous women and white women, but black women were the ones that were the go-tos. So fast forward to after the Civil War, when slavery was quote-unquote abolished, white male medical doctors who were wanting to civilize the field of women's reproductive health saw black women as a real threat. These doctors thought that they could do a much better job than these midwives. And they also had their little egos hurt because other medical branches thought that they weren't legit enough, that the women's reproductive health doctors were lesser because a bunch of women had been doing it forever. So a decade-long smear campaign of midwifery and a bunch of racist and sexist bullshit began. All because some white dudes had some fragile little egos. By describing black midwives as unhygienic, barbarous, infected, non-scientific, dangerous, and unprofessional, they basically pushed them out. Not basically, they completely pushed midwives out of the profession. A particularly garbagey garbage human named Dr. Joseph DeLee, a prominent 20th century obstetrician and favorite opponent to midwifery, stated in a much quoted 1915 speech, the midwife is a relic of barbarism. In civilized countries, the midwife is wrong, has always been wrong. The midwife has been a drag on the progress of science and art of obstetrics. Her existence stunts the one and degrades the other. For many centuries, she perverted obstetrics from obtaining any standing at all among the science of medicine. Even after midwifery was practiced by some of the most brilliant men in the profession, such practice was held opprobrious and degraded. I just don't know what to say to that absolute vile rambling of a clearly delusional garbage fire that somehow gained sentience and a medical degree. But unfortunately, Joseph here was not the only sentient garbage pile to hold these beliefs. And they weren't even sneaky about it. They freaking wrote about their motives, friend. They wrote about them. Clearly stated, this is why we are doing this. Okay, listen, listen, listen to this shit. This is a quote from the ACLU's page on abortion history. They desired financial gains, recognition, and a monopoly. As Dr. D. Lee wrote in a 1916 article published in the American Journal of Obstetrics and Disease for Women and Children, there is a high art in obstetrics and that it must pay as well for it as for surgery. I will not admit that this is a sordid impulse. It is only common justice to labor, self-sacrifice, and skill. They believe that men should be paid, paid handsomely, but not women, particularly not black women, for the admittedly skillful job of women's reproductive health. They said outright, 
yeah, we know that this takes a lot of skill, but we want the money for it, not women. Mm, okay. And so the women who had been providing life-saving medical care for the last 200 years or so in the United States and however long before colonization were pushed out of the field of women's productive health. Abortion was banned altogether in 1910 and thus began one of the darkest times in women's reproductive history. By 1967, abortion was a felony in nearly every state, with few provisions for the health of the mother or pregnancies arising from rape. Even though abortion was illegal in the U.S., rich, mostly white women were able to travel to other countries like Japan, which is bananas, to obtain a safe and somewhat legal abortion. Or they were able to pay off a politician or a doctor to just look away or give them a safe yet illegal abortion under the table. There's no way to know exactly how many people died or were seriously injured during this dark age of reproductive health. Because, you know, it was super illegal to get an abortion, so you're not going to report it, right? For decades, if you got pregnant out of wedlock, you were a terrible person. But just the uterus-having person, the penises were not punished at all because, you know, boys will be boys, right? Blech. If you got an abortion and got caught, straight to jail. Sometimes people were forced to get sterilized if they were found to have had an abortion. Or people would just straight up die from botched operations or trying to get themselves abortatives with Lysol or bleach douches. Or drinking all sorts of chemicals. It was an absolute freaking nightmare. But all that changed in the 1970s. States across the U.S. had begun to realize, aw shit, we gotta do something because it's really bad. So the U.S. began to reconsider their laws and loosen their restrictions on abortion. And in 1973, the Supreme Court settled the question with two landmark rulings, Roe v. Wade and a lesser known but equally important Doe v. Bolton. So if anything like me, until recently, I really didn't know much about Roe v. Wade. I just knew that it was important and it ended the nearly like 100 years of bullshit that the government put people through. And that's pretty much it. So let's get into it. And just FYI, this is a truly short and uber quick version of this case. So Roe and Wade are two actual people. Jane Roe was the fake name given to a real woman, Norma McCorvey who unfortunately passed in 2017. Henry Wade was the district attorney of Dallas County in Texas, where Roe, or Norma, lived. Norma was pregnant with her third child and did not want to carry the pregnancy to term and wanted to have an abortion, but it was illegal in Texas unless the mother's life was in danger. Her case was taken to the Supreme Court, and on January 22, 1973, the court sided with her on a 2-7 to seven decision, stating that this issue fell under the 14th Amendment, which provides a fundamental right to privacy and protects a pregnant person the right to an abortion. Through this ruling, they also classified abortions as a fundamental right, a fundamental right, until the fetus was viable outside the womb. But it is not all about rights to have abortions, my friend. It made abortion care legal, more accessible, and safer throughout the country. This includes access to reproductive medicine like birth control and various forms of contraceptives. 
All of this was done because of Roe v. Wade. And you know what's funny? Not funny haha, but funny weird. There was little public opposition after it happened. The general public pretty much was like, all right, cool. We don't really care. A 1972 Gallup poll had found that a majority of Americans, 64%, thought the decision to have an abortion should be made solely by a woman and her physician. Republicans, listen to this, Republicans were at 68%. 68% of Republicans thought abortion decisions should be made solely by a woman and her physician. Huh, weird, so strange. That was the opinion of the vast majority of Republicans until some sketchy political shit went down. The 1980 election is when abortion became a Republican issue. And this too, dear one, was rooted in, you freaking guessed it, racism. So let me tell you how things went down. Evangelical pro-segregation groups were trying to apply for religious tax-free exemption status. What? What? And the government was like, um, first of all, no. And second of all, no. Like, you can't just say that you're a segregation organization and then want tax exemption status. That's That's been illegal for like a hot minute now, WTF. And the racists did not like this. So they were like, all right, we're going to get into politics. And uh, we're going to make our own rules so that we can make racism legal again and make everyone believe in our evangelical religious beliefs. And since we can't be, like, overtly racist, we're going to do what the racist white doctors did back in the day and rally around abortion. If we tell our congregation about abortion clinics and that they're killing babies and spread a bunch of lies, then they'll surely show up to vote to save these fictional babies' lives. Oh, my God. So, that's what they thought. That was their whole plan. When I was watching the documentary before Roe v. Wade, and I found this out, I literally had to stop the documentary at several times and just kind of like scream into a pillow because I was so frustrated. Oh my God. I was so frustrated. I will leave a link to that documentary if you would also like to be frustrated. And yeah, anyways, I digress. The thing that really tipped the anti-abortion movement over the edge and into the mainstream was freaking Ronald Reagan and his election campaign of the 1980s. His speeches Campaign platforms and freaking essays on anti-abortion have fueled this delusional party for the last 50 years. Through ignorance and racism, they have made making access to fundamental health care nearly impossible. To give you an idea of just how bad it has gotten here, here are some statistics. Then, just as now, anti-abortion efforts have nothing to do with saving women's lives or protecting the interest of children because today a person is 14 times more likely to die by carrying a pregnancy to term than having an abortion and medical evidence has shown for decades that an abortion is as safe as a penicillin shot and yet abortion remains heavily restricted in states across the country 
the U.S. leads the developed world in maternal and infant mortality. The U.S. ranks around 50th in the world for maternal safety. After Ronald Reagan was elected into office in 1980, the anti-abortion movement exploded, and their sole mission was to overturn Roe v. Wade and make it as difficult as possible to obtain an abortion and to make it impossible to obtain an abortion. And as I am sure you are well aware, dear one, the efforts of the anti-abortion movement came to a head this year on June 24th when Roe v. Wade was overturned by some of the most deplorable garbage humans in the history of the United States. This triggered several states to unleash a wave of restrictive and life-threatening laws surrounding not only abortion, but birth control and other forms of reproductive health. The effects of this decision are already being felt across not only the United States, but all over the world, with countries opening up their borders for Americans seeking reproductive health services. It is unclear how far-reaching and to what end this will affect people's lives. But what I do know is that through education, advocacy, and activism, we do have the power to stop this madness. Hey friend, we have come to the end of our episode and our final thought. And today's final thought is a little bit different than our usual fun facts or weird details. This topic is a heavy one. It was hard for me to research. It was hard for me to write it down and get it all out there. And the world seems like it's on fire and everything is going to shit. And I just wanted to take a second to tell you that if any change is going to come, you've got to take care of yourself first, okay? This is a lesson that I am also learning the hard way. A burnt out delicious donut like yourself cannot go on indefinitely. Please take care of yourself and avoid activism burnout or burnout of any kind. You yourself do not have to fix all the world's problems today. Daily education and conversations with your friends and family are great steps. I cannot stress enough how important education is. Small steps in supporting your own community have a huge lasting impact. Please make sure that it is not at the cost of your own mental health. And if you'd like to know more about ways that you can be more politically active and how you can stave off burnout, I will leave links in the show notes for you to check out, dear one. Goodness gracious googly moogly, friend. That was sure a journey and we went on it together and I couldn't think of a better history friend to do it with than you. (laughs) And if you got something out of this episode today, please consider leaving a rating or review. We are 15 reviews away from our 100 goal for this unusually long season. Uh, Thank you for sticking with me through this very long season. You you can also support the podcast by purchasing merch if you're into that, by donating on the various platforms in the show notes, like buying me a virtual coffee to keep me caffeinated while researching, by joining Patreon, and so much more. And one of the best ways to support for the love of history is sharing an episode with your friends. That is the number one way people hear about podcasts is through word of mouth. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week when we talk about Matilda 
care, the most dangerous double agent. So, until then, give yourself a hug, do something that makes you happy, and drink your water, and I will see you in the next episode. Okay, bye! Why is there a metronome right now? Oh, okay. <laughs>